Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Foo. And I'm Damien Sassauer. And we have with us the president of 888-US and also Sports Illustrated Sportsbook. And we have on the line Howard Mittman. Uh, I understand that uh, Howard and Damien are like BFFs. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, co- no comment. So no this comment. is going to be fun. Howard, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you and Scarlett and, you know, maybe a little less so David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to ask the obvious question, and it's something that everybody is wondering. State and growth of sports betting in America, where do you guys see it today? Yeah, look, I think, you know, sports betting is at a, at a critical moment. I think we're, you know, we're very much in the early innings of this entire process. But, you know, it's important to remember um, in Europe, this has been legal for a long time. And we just acquired, I uh, worked for 88 Holdings. We just acquired William Hill. That's an 88-year-old business, right? Here, we're, we're in our infancy. And so... Some of the things that we're seeing play out now and, and happen are, are what I call the sort of the difference between betting 1.0 and, and betting 2.0. And it's not dissimilar to what we saw in Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. And, and I think part of that is it's just this macro understanding that we're all trying to figure out what's real, what's not, what the hype is, and, and, and you know, plot out where the market is going. And what we see is this sort of, you know, second stage of evolution as we get out of the excitement stage that betting is, is finally legal here and in, in a lot of places in the U.S. Howard, I wonder if you could help us, you know, help our audience better understand your March to the Middle strategy. I mean, f- for me, you know, every FanDuel, DraftKings, you know, BetMGM, you name it, they're all going after my son, who's, by the way, 17 years old, so stay away. But, I mean, they're all going after that millennial, that Gen Z crowd. Talk about, you know, the March to the Middle strategy that you employ at 888. Yeah, look, you know, Think about Sports Illustrated, right? The the brand that we're using, you know, has 60-plus years of legacy, heritage, history, credibility. And for a generation of sports fans, SI was the window into the world. Knowledge and proximity to the games, athletes, they love. Um, for folks like me, and I was a journalism major, you know, at the Ohio State University. And, um, you know, I ran to the mailbox every Tuesday to get my, <laughs> my issue, right? So... If you think about that for a second, you think about who does the SI brand appeal to, it's a 40, 50, 60-plus-year-old sports fan. And you know, rather than sort of lean away from that or pretend like we have this sort of like tribal following that some other you know, younger brands do, I think we need to lean into it. And you know, as we've done that, you know, we found what, what I call sort of the unsexy sweet spot. You know, this is uh, an older consumer who's a... You know, sports fan that bets casually or who doesn't get bet. Um, and, you know, I, I call them the unsexy sweet spot, but, it, you know, it, it, it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke because if you layer in the high brand awareness that I have, the consideration that we have, you know, for, you know, 
members of this this group in terms of their willingness to you know partner with or, or bet through a Sports Illustrated brand of that, and then you layer on um, their you know on some level lack of technological sophistication, right? Uh, the loyalty that that can breed, the um, you know desire, the household income that they bring to the table, and an ARPU level that we're calculating at about four to five x uh, forty plus versus under. And so we don't have the money, we don't have the brand, we don't have the wherewithal or, or strategy to compete for those consumers. We're happy finding our, our niche and, and leaning into the folks who have a higher HHI, are likely to use our service, are still significant size of the U.S. market at about 43%, and have the highest uh-huh. earning power. So we're building an app that markets to, speaks to, and is built for those casual, you know, betters and, and rapid sports fans who are learning how, you know, the world of betting works. This is so painful to hear us described as the unsexy sweet spot. Um, Because we're very much, Damien, Michael Barr, and I are very much in that Gen X uh, group that you're targeting. However, we live in New York, or we live in the tri-state area, so we're actually not your target demo in that respect. Why is that? Why are you staying out of the coastal states like California and New York? Yeah, you know, look, I'm I'm dead center in the middle of that. I'm 49 years old. I'm of the sort of group of folks who's still going to hip, cool restaurants, but starting to notice that the font is getting a little bit smaller. Reading <laughs> <laughs> uh, glasses. Yeah, a lot of reading glasses, a lot of iPhones coming out, maybe, you know, a fight over the candle in the middle of the table. But <laughs> in any event, um, you know, you won't likely see us in uh, New York, Scarlet. That, that, that's not for us. And, and frankly, you're not likely to see us in... Illinois. I, I don't know how California plays out, but I suspect that that would be a more difficult state for us. We, we tend to think of these states as vanity states. Uh, what we're looking for are states that have um, attractive tax rates. We're looking for states that have, um, you know, nice density in terms of population, um, total numbers, and, and, and sort of strategically, we want them geographically located in ways that make it easier for us to market to them. And then we're looking for states that um, don't have 30-plus players in the market. You know, If we enter into a state moving forward, uh, it needs to have those things, and it's going to need to have you know, casino, legal casino, live or expected to be live shortly thereafter, because that's an area where you know, 888 globally has, has, I'll stop short of calling it dominance, but we, ha- we, we are recognized as one of the best in the world at that. Uh, in terms of our tech, in terms of our user experience, the stu- in-house studios that we have, the game development. So with all of those resources, gaming is an area where we think we have right and permission to win, and so we're going to lean into that quite heavily. Well, one state here in the U.S. that all the online casinos are hoping things will open up in that market, California. Now, you know, it's it's kind of iffy about what's going to happen right now in California, but it depends on, you know, how it goes. Maybe, you know, maybe California will come very soon. And if it does, what does that mean for you and the entire market for online gaming? You know, I, I can't honestly say that I know what it means for me. I, I think for the gaming community, it's a, it's a really great, you know, statement of, of what gaming means and, and, you know, the admission that betters are better sports fans and that this just is a part of enhancing the experience for, you know, fandom. Um, as it relates to the numbers, it's, a, I don't know, the population stats in front of me is a very large state. So 
right now the tier one operators are are supporting conversations and efforts to to try to push legalization and i know some of the um you know tribes have a very different opinion i'm staying out of that conversation that's not a that's not a fight for me i mean i think what we're looking to do here you know we, we see the world as there's tier one tier two and tier three there's Three brands in tier one. I, I won't say what I think they are, but you could probably guess. Mm-hmm. There's a, a bunch more that are tier two. And then there's about 20 or so brands that are tier three. We are decidedly in tier three. Everything we're doing is a, a trying to employ a strategy where in the next 18 to 24 months, we can find our way into you know tier two, probably even the lower end of tier two. But that, that's the strategy. So California is a tier one conversation for right now, or maybe even a tier two, but it, it's not one that I'm concerning myself too much with or spending a lot of time personally thinking about for our business. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know, Howard, one thing we've talked about, you know, offline is the importance and the role of content you know, and how that plays into, you know, consumer engagement, right? And, you know, when I think of Sports Illustrated, I was just like you, you know, I ran to the mailbox to get it every week, but increasingly as I got older, I only ran to the mailbox during February's when the swimsuit issue came out. So, you know, talk to me about, talk to me about you, me new, talk to me about how you're leveraging the content that SI has today where, you know, you know, all of that and how you plan on, you know, kind of porting that over onto the sport book side. Paging Mrs. Sassauer. Yes. Paging Mrs. Sassauer. <laughs> she never listens to the show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from our from our perspective, right, I mentioned betting 1.0 and betting 2.0. I think to answer this question properly, I'll frame out a little bit about what we see as the differences between them two, right? Betting 1.0 had a highly competitive landscape, a very high acquisition cost, uh, very bonus-driven. Uh, brands are spending, operators are spending for share, Um the sportsbooks were generally pure plays and, and rather transactional experience, right? Moving out into 2.0, there's a, a lot of shift. You know, that competitive landscape is, is leading towards a path where consolidation is increasingly going to be the conversation um, that will dominate a lot of your thoughts relative to the market. Uh, those high acquisition costs aren't sustainable, and brands are have to now and are shifting. We are certainly focused on LTV and retention. Right. So the next part of that is content. Content brings about consistent engagement. Content will, you know, help these brands lower their acquisition. Will take care of some of that like spending for share mentality as it shifts towards a spend for profitability. And I think, you know, if you look at the sports betting landscape, betting 1.0 could best be described as, you know, I'm using air quotes here. Yay, it's legal. Betting 2.0 is going to transition out into you know, product and content-based experiences. And, you know, we, we think we have an advantage with with this community that we've identified, this unsexy sweet spot, with um, the strategy that we've identified and how we're going to look at uh, sports and casino conjoined. And, um, you know, we think it becomes really interesting because the vertically aligned integrated um, content experience should help with retention and helps us start shifting our thinking from 
how quickly can we get people in and out of the app to how long can we keep them? How can we build experiences for them? How can we roll that out mm-hmm. into a, a more broad membership uh, where all the various elements, events and covers and NFTs and all the things that you know at Sports Illustrated has grown into can then be a part of that for our users. Okay, so we're in betting 1.0 right now. Yay, it's legal. You're positioning yourself for betting 2.0. What does it look like, 2.0, that transition to 2.0? And does it happen uniformly across the country or does it take place in different markets? Because certain markets are ahead of the curve when it comes to adoption of uh, sports betting, whereas California, we still don't know what's going to happen. How is that going to roll out? Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a great question. I'll tell you how I think it's going to roll out. I, I, I don't pretend to have all the answers or to know where, where any of this you know, really ultimately goes. But, but our mm-hmm. thesis is that you know, yay, it's legal, shifts to product-based experiences. And, and what that means for us is that the user becomes the center of the equation, becomes the, the sort of center of focus and the center of the flywheel that you try to build. Um, not just yay, it's legal. So um, we're, we're investing heavily in that. You know, we see um, the app evolving. We have started to evolve in, in a pretty interesting direction, you know, from our perspective at least. So, again... Back to those menus at the dinner table in a dark restaurant, we've introduced larger fonts. We have larger buttons for fat finger syndrome like, you know, I suffer from. We have, you know, a cleaner um, cleaner user experience. We, we have um, SI-branded writers like Michael Fabiano and, you know, Bill Enright and others, some of the best in the business, who are writing, you know, columns for us tied into activities that are happening in the app and, Maintaining, obviously, the level of journalistic credibility that they've always had, but giving our users a chance to experience, you know, um, the world of sport and sports betting through their eyes. So we, we see it sort of shifting that way. And then as a, as a broad lens, we believe that bad content is the enemy, bad product is the enemy of good content. And um, right now, we're not even close to the best sports app but we think we've made some really strategic moves and are are about to make some massive jumps in terms of the quality of our product, specifically as it relates to the audience we cover. But, you know, it's a little bit of the, you know, a low bar. You know, the the level of product innovation and evolution, even for the best in our business, is far lower than I think you'd expect from some of the other apps you would invite onto your home screen. And so, you know, we're we're focused on, on that and we have a customer journey that we've outlined and mapped out happy to walk you through if there's any interest, but that, that, you know, in terms of the ways we think about maintaining this vertically aligned consumer focus journey. You are the former CEO of Bleacher Report, and obviously that that's huge. What experiences from that carries over into this? Yeah, you know, I think, look, prior to that, I, I was at Condé Nast, and I, I was the publisher and CRO at GQ. I had the same title at Wired. Um, all of these jobs are very similar, right? Now, there's obviously nuances and differences on the, the betting side, but, you know, the regulatory issues, the compliance issues, the trading, the, the, those are, are newer things to me. But the thing that's most interesting about each one of the stops I've been lucky enough to have is that they sit at a cross-section, right? So at Wired, it was a cross-section of technology, business, culture. At GQ, it was fashion, culture, and sports. At Bleacher, it was sports and culture. Uh, here, it's sports, media, culture, betting. It, it, it's just a, it's a mashup. It's a lot of streams coming together. 
I tend to thrive in those moments and those environments where they sit at the cross section of multiple interesting streams that are coming together. And I think we're, we're doing a, you know, we're, we've assembled a really nice team here that got our arms around it and works in conjunction with our partners at, you know, the arena group who publishes sports illustrated and authentic brands group that owns sports illustrated and, you know, uh, is an investor in our, um, venture. Well, Howard, don't feel bad about uh, you need a bigger font. And I, I we came in the studio, <laughs> and you know, now Damien's eyes and and Scarlett's eyes—they're great. But I'm like, man, we got to turn the lights on, people. I can't see anything in here, man. It's that's how bad I'm getting. And, and my glasses—if we had sunlight in here, you know, if you set it right, like a magnifying glass, it could start a fire. So I, don't worry about that, man. It's you know, I'm that unsexy well, crowd, man. <laughs> don't, don't worry. We're 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 trying to start a little bit of a fire over here, so. maybe in, in different ways. <laughs> Howard Mittman, he's the president of Eight 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 US, also Sports Illustrated Sports Book. Howard, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Michael, thanks so much, and, and thank you, Scarlett and Damian. I appreciate you having me and, and having the opportunity to chat with your listeners. Thank you, sir. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Scarlett Fu, and I'm on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer on Twitter at D Sassauer. And you can catch our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And by the way, you can download the show wherever you get your podcasts. 